Hey, Philip, what's going on? Hey, Brian, good to see you, man. I didn't hear you knock. I didn't know I had to knock. Fair enough. So what are we doing this week? The same thing we do every week, our podcast. Ooh, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock. The show where two neighbors drop by for conversations that are fun, relevant, and downright hilarious. Join them and special guests in their mission to talk about anything and everything and laugh about it no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. What's going on? What's going on, guys? It is myself, Brian, as always with me, Mr. Philip Goffrey. What's going on, Philip? What's up, buddy? Not much. Good to see you. No, I'm excited. I am totally jammed and pumped up right now. We are in season three, episode 10, and we're going to be getting into a lot today. I mean, we're talking about some creative date nights, things that can be more sustainable, and the musky smell of robots taking over the roads. Mm, do you smell <laughs> what musk is cooking? <laughs> musky. <laughs> do you think he could have his own cologne? Get musky for your Tesla. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Because if <laughs> he's you probably that, already in the works, yeah, right? If you put that into the universe, I'm pretty sure that he's going to come up with it. We're going to have a, a press conference, you know, and it's going to be like, Guys, cologne. this is so great. And I'll have a robot deliver it to your door. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, it won't be enough that it'd be like, a, you know, an aquaphobic or hydrophobic coating. It would be like nanites inside the cologne that would... Oh no! That, that, that just when you say the word, was it nanites? Was that nanites? It just sounds like a like a robotic roach. Makes you cringe. Yeah, right? it like makes me. Ugh. Mufasa. <laughs> Don't say it again. Um, so, but you guys are gonna want to stick toward the end of the episode because we're gonna reveal next week's special guest. And we're going to give you guys a chance to get some free NDK swag. We're going to have a giveaway. So you want to stay tuned to the end of the episode for all that information. It's our first giveaway. It is our first giveaway. Yeah, it's kind of fun. We are charitable in that way. I feel very like 1980s <laughs> radio show. Really? I do. Oh, wow. I, I No, I guess you're right. In 1980s, that's a good, I, I like that, right? Have we reverted back? Well, everything old is new again, right? That's right. I mean, just straight up. I we're think fashionable. We're, I'm fashionable. You're, <laughs> I like how you say, I'm fashionable. I was like, we're, I'm fashionable. <laughs> Fashionably late to most things, as, as the case may be. Well, let's start with our first topic today. I wanted to get into this, uh, creative date nights. And this came up to me because my wife and I have recently, we've always tried to do date nights. And I don't know, do you guys do date nights? You know, we used to be really, really good about it. We had a weekly standing date night, babysitter on retainer. We just went out every single week. It was Thursday night. That was it. And we did that for years. And then the pandemic derailed everything. Um, our income changed a little bit and everything on the planet costs, you know, 20% more than it ever has in history. And, and date nights just kind of faded away. So they're, they're so important. I miss them. I miss them tremendously. Well, I mean, we were, we were similar in, in the sense, but we did our date nights were not our typical date nights. Like when we were a younger couple, we actually used to go to the grocery store on, I think it was like Friday night or something because it was always empty. And so we'd kind of walk around and do our shopping, but we don't shop uh, like we, we have a different shopping habits as far as grocery stores now. So we don't do that. You know, I feel like there's been a cultural shift with that because I used to do that too with Elaine and we were younger, we would grocery shop together. We would, 
Remember we'd go to Blockbuster and pick out videos together. That was a big part of like spending time together. I can't say that we did the Blockbuster thing. I did Blockbuster back in the day, but I, I don't think, I've, actually, to be honest, I've never done Blockbuster with a girl. When Elaine and I first met back in 2006, there was still a Blockbuster here in Houston, pretty close to where like we lived. Like the last one. One of the last ones, yeah. The one used- in the Heights, like on the far side? Like no, the, no, like- it was on West Gray. But but we oh, used okay. to go and um, and pick out videos, uh, DVDs, I guess at that point, and um, and that was part of date night. But but you're right about the grocery shopping thing, like that used to be a, a kind of coupley thing to do. And I I don't know any couples now that shop together. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say I don't know any, but I'm I'm with you. I don't see as many. And, and maybe it's just kind of the time that we live in, especially it feels weird now because of COVID and everything else. Everything's kind of shifted. But why is date night important? And, and this is what kind of got me going on this. It's looked at, and, and I was looking at this, uh, this website um, that was, had very interesting insight into date nights from uh, Psychology Today. So it's like, if you can go to psychologytoday.com, uh, they had a lot of really great insights about why it's important to have a date night. And, you know, married couples or, you know, significant others and spouses will go on frequent date nights that, you know, if they do, they tend to have lower divorce rates. They also feel better about the quality of their, of their partner and the couple's it kind of, I don't want to say it rekindles things, but it just gives that excitement or something It pulls you away from all the day-to-day mundane type of things that weigh us down and stress us out a lot. And we've recently, my wife and I have recently started doing more of these like on a regular basis, weekly. So are you going, are you going back to the classics? Are you like dinner and a movie date night now? Are you getting really creative again and trying to find things to do that are, I think, and, and don't do the whole like, Picasso and Pinot Noir thing that that <laughs> what, what was the, that doesn't count. What is the Picasso? What is that? You ever seen like like Pinot's Palette or whatever they call it, where you go and and you drink wine and you have to oh the like, painting and the, yeah, the wine and the paint. No, we haven't done that. My wife's done that with friends, and she tells me that couples go and do that. And to me, I just want to like grab one of the brushes and jam it in my eye. That's like the oh, worst wow. idea of a date night. Well, no, we have let's done- do a pottery class together. No. Actually, pottery's kind of fun. What? <laughs> okay, ghost. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Whatever, Patrick Swayze. I... Okay, no, but we did do a cooking class. We went to, uh, I believe it was Sir Latab, and we did like a big cooking class thing where they show you how to make everything, and of course, then they sell you all the products at the end of the class. <laughs> but you eat everything there. Wasn't that spatula amazing? <laughs> yes, we have to have it. I don't know. I, I think that we've been just getting back to spending time together. You know, we, we, we do have times when we say, all right, we're going to watch this together. We're recently watching Stanley Tucci's uh, Italy on HBO. Very nice. It's, it's really kind of cool because we love food, right? And, and we love Italian food. And so we actually sat down. And in fact, the other night we were watching an episode. I think we watched like two episodes and we ended up, you know, getting a glass of wine and sitting on the couch. And it, it really, we were talking back and forth as we're watching the episode. So it wasn't one of those serious where you can't talk type. Va bene, brava, brava. Have you, have you seen with your wife, Stanley Tucci in Big Night, the film Big Night? I know I don't believe so, but that's, I, I, that's worth doing on a date night. Is that worth doing? doing his series? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great movie, man. That's, that's a fun date night movie. Well, I, you know, the, the, the dinner and a movie thing is really what we'd say, what common 
the common date night thing, uh, or at least dinner, right? You go out to dinner and then you come home, right? That way you have, you can communicate, you can spend time away, you can be yourselves. I think so. You know, my wife and I used to try to get creative. We would do things like, um, she got into watching burlesque shows for a little while. So we'd go to a, a dinner at a burlesque show. Um, we were members of various museums and galleries around town. So some of our date nights would be like going to the you know, Museum of Fine Arts Houston, something like that, and checking out a current exhibit, which is really nice because it gives you that sort of walk around time and you're around other people, but it still feels romantic in oh, a way. You can talk with each other really. Cause I, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Being able to find a way to connect wh whatever that may be. And it's different for everyone. Obviously I, I think that just going to a movie, which we do love to go to movies, but it, you have to make sure. And what I was reading up on is people that just turn the TV on or turn movies on and just start watching, which I can be bad about sometimes. And you're just, you're next to your partner it's not really a date night. And people right, are like, oh, no we're, yeah, there's not a connection. It's completely separate and you have to be careful. So we're very specific about, oh, this show we watch. And, you know, we cringe like, oh, I can't watch the next episode of Ted Lasso because I have to wait for my wife, right? <laughs> but it really, it really is kind of important when you think about it because we've designated that is something we want to do together. Yeah, you have that connection. You know, I do feel there are pitfalls though because we're stuck in a world where everything is so expensive. Right. Going out on dates now, it, it is crazy expensive. You think about, you know, babysitters, are 20 bucks an hour on average. Now, if not more, you've got food prices to the roof. So restaurants oh, I, are very at expensive. At least, let's say, we'd probably say between 70, would say 75 to $100 for a couple to go easily. out to dinner. Some, I would say easily. Something like any, that. Any, like, decent restaurant, you're not going to go, you know, Chili's or TGI Fridays. Is TGI Fridays still around? I, I don't even know. I don't know either. But, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to go to Apple, a more... Applebee's is still around. Sure, sure. So we're going to exclude Olive Garden from the list. But if you're going to go to, let's say, a slightly um, nicer restaurant for a proper romantic evening out with your spouse or your partner, you know, it's really, really expensive. Now, yeah, 75 to 100 bucks is, is, is pretty much easy to accomplish in any major city. And then you have even Lyft, Uber, things like that. They're very expensive now. So I think that we're defaulting to that sort of staying home, watching the movies. There's so much content available. But the pitfall, man, wow. Well, like I, I'm, binge watching is a problem as is, let alone date night, every date night binge watching. No, I, I am glad that you bring that up, though, because, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing. That's the other side of it, why so many people, I don't want to say discourage it or fall, they fall away from it or they just lose that, that connection of date night sometimes it's because of those excuses, right? Now they're not that they're not, they don't have any validity because there are some, there's very much truth to what you're saying. You know, prices are high. I mean, it just, it is what it is, right? Yeah, brother, my bank account <laughs> says it's a fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but the excuses of, you know, budget limits. Okay. The other one, the other big one that, I, that they say is exhaustion. You're just, I'm too tired. I've been working all the time. The other one is who plans it? Like, I don't know if this is an issue for you guys. For us, sometimes when we're coming to choose like dinner or what do you want to do tonight or what movie should we go see? I don't know. You choose. You know, I don't want to choose. You choose. I, right? get, I get so jerky about it. <laughs> I become such an ass, Brian. Seriously, I really do. You know, we'll, we'll be flipping through channels for something as simple as what can we binge watch tonight? And I'll just get fed up. I'm like, fine, you pick it. <laughs> it's so bad. I get so bad. I, 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 you know, I really should. I become like every father that's ever ever lived, right? Every husband is just this complete jerk thing to do. But yeah, it is difficult because then there are resentments and there's all sorts of. <laughs> you have all that. Oh, you wanted to go there. I wasn't. 
thinking Tex-Mex. I was thinking... Okay, so you have those excuses, but let's talk about a couple creative things because there are ways to do it. I don't know how creative you get. Like we were talking about just going to the grocery store, doing that kind of date night thing. I mean, I don't have like mimes show up in the driveway to guide us to the Uber or anything, but... I'll give you a couple. I, I found a couple. You can go, if you live in, depending the area, you could go apple picking or you could go to a, a farm or orchard and, you know, do a little picnic. There's things like that. Avoid you can, the llamas, they spit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Poetry reading, if you like that. that. Those usually don't cost anything. Those are usually like open mic type of things. I'm, I'm trying to get creative here. Um, I am keeping an open mind just, just for you and our audience, Brian. Yes. Yes. Poetry reading. So oh, that sounds reading. lovely. You could go camping. Uh, that's totally out for my wife, unless it's in a air conditioned cabin. Uh, but, uh, but, but you were saying historical museums, things like that, that, are, but again, that can kind of rack up a little bit, but typically that's a lot cheaper than going out to dinner, doing museums and things like that. Um, you know, comedy shows are always kind of fun, but again, those that cost a lot of money. Um, this was a one that I, I found and I thought this was kind of fun. Actually, I wouldn't mind testing my wife to see if she'd do this paintball. That'd be hilarious. I, we could do a double date. We could go paintballing. I'm I'm confident that my wife would go straight Black Widow on our asses. I would be. That would be awesome. All of a sudden, we're just getting picked off. She's like doing somersaults, jumping down. I, I don't think my wife would be on board for that, but I would love to try that. Ice skating is another one. That's fun. That could be fun. Uh, going to the zoo, which I love because we actually, that's where the day I proposed, we actually went to the zoo that day. So, I mean, th so there's, I mean, yes, you can do the whole limo and romantic restaurant, but if you're trying to find different ways to, you know, have costs come down, you can do the movie night at home, which is now more affordable. I, I get the whole... It, it, we want it to feel like it's a date night type of thing. So maybe you do something where you, you just get a, a special bottle of wine or you cook dinner because we cook dinner together, which is really actually lovely. Well, listen, I'll tell you what little PSA for all the guys, gals, and uh, non-binary listeners that we have here on the show. Never underestimate the romantic value of a good Sunday picnic. That's true. I do like that. Yep. Hit the park with a picnic blanket and some food. You know, that goes a long way. I'm just, I'm getting all teary eyed, but anyway, so yeah, uh, email us. If you guys have any really creative, uh, date nights that you can share with us and we can share with all the listeners, I'd love to hear it. And if you're going to post up on social media with it, we ask that you keep it clean. But if you email us, Hey, sky's the limit. Well, let's get funky. Be interesting to see what unclean things they have for date night. <laughs> you said get creative. I'd like to know what people are thinking. That's true. That is definitely true. No pictures, please. Hey, let's take a moment to talk about the Sacred Heart Ranch of Idaho. This season, Neighbors Don't Knock is brought to you by supporters of this 501c3 nonprofit that will provide a home to come back to for those who don't have one. They're doing incredible work by offering temporary housing for women of all faiths and backgrounds between the ages of 18 and 25. Yeah, Brian, that includes women aging out of foster care, discharged from the military with trauma, or pregnant for the first time with nowhere to go. Operating according to a trauma-informed care model, the Sacred Heart Ranch of Idaho will foster emotional intelligence, confidence, independence, and utilize recreation for healing. To learn more about this important work and how to help these young women heal, learn, and grow, visit their website, sacredheartranch.org.
And now back to the show. So Brian, we've gone over creative dates. I want to hear what your thoughts are on sustainable living. Where are you taking us on this? Oh man. Okay. So we're living in this day, right? First of all, do you recycle? I do recycle. I'm, I'm, I'm very adamant about it. In fact. Okay. I wish we recycled more than we do because there's not a recycle at our complex. They don't, you can't separate your stuff. That's tough. Man. And, and so if you don't put a separate bag and then take it to the recycle place, it's, you know, so we, we try not to, but it, it made me feel the other day as you try I, not to use things you can't recycle. You mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. But it just made me feel weird. Cause I was doing that in the other day and I was taking out trash and I was like, Oh, this is like stuff I would recycle normally. Or, or I just, I felt kind of wasteful for a moment. And, and not that I was wasting things, but uh, there are ways to help our environment. And I think we need to be thinking about a lot more things that are sustainable. And it just kind of hit me. What else am I doing that is sustainable and what else could I be doing better? So I, I don't know if you have a list of, of things or if this is kind of hits your wheelhouse. Well, I, don't, I don't have like a list in my pocket. Is there something specific though? Today? But is there something specific that you do that is sustainable specifically? No, it's a hard question to answer. I, I've been thinking more and more about this, like it sounds like you have, and I've been trying to choose the products that I buy with a little bit more of a discerning eye about what kind of waste is going to come with the packaging. You know, some big consumer goods have gotten really good about this. They've tried to reduce their packaging and all that jazz. Obviously, some of that is marketing, but some of it is a legitimate attempt to to have less um, waste out there. The one thing that I really need to work on that I'm really bad about is I've come to rely on services like amazon.com way too much in my life. And that's really kind of absurd, right? Because you're adding not only the carbon emissions of the delivery vehicles going all over the cities to deal with these goods, but you're also very often dealing with you know, crazy huge amounts of cardboard for very small packages that are actually packed inside the cardboard. Oh, I know. Isn't it insane? Because then they get all, you, you get like what, something that's the size of like a half notebook or something, and it's packed with this air bubble packing, yeah. packing tape or whatever, but the box is like three times the size of the product. Yeah, it's frustrating. So I've been trying to be a little bit more careful, even, even little things like if I am going to order on Amazon and the order is sort of a big order, I will go through if I can and check that option to have it be delivered in fewer deliveries. Oh, that's, it takes oh, that's good. That, yeah, I like that. I, I like that a lot. It's nice just to have it on only, you know, a couple of trucks instead of 15 trucks in order to get to me. The other thing that I've been trying to do is be a little bit more careful to your point about recycling, not just about choosing the products that are easily recyclable, but I've actually been trying to educate myself on what really is recyclable. You know, People assume that because it's made of plastic, you can just toss it in your recycling bin and it'll magically become, you know, somebody's toothbrush one day. That's absolutely not true. In fact, I really hope that the milk carton that I recycle does not become a toothbrush. <laughs> Don't worry, they scrub it clean. It's magic. It's magic, Brian. No, honestly, you know, can you imagine where else some of these things are coming from? I know it's really nasty, just nasty, nasty stuff. <laughs> But but a lot of people just make these assumptions that oh it's it's uh, it's tinfoil so of course it's recyclable because it's metal metal right when it's really not the case you actually have to be very very careful to especially with plastics to look at the bottom of the plastic container look for that little code and then figure out not only is it generally recyclable but also if your you know city municipality town village whatever you're in will recycle that particular material 
Yeah, no, th- I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I think that is important that we should keep educating ourselves in that sense because people are sitting here, well, you know, I'm just going to live the way I live, right? I, I think that's kind of the attitude that a lot of people approach. Like, yeah. what, what is it, what is it going to matter to me? I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm not, I don't have kids. I'm not living for the future or, or whatever, you know, or I, I don't know. It, it just, I think it kind of goes back to the whole, we want to leave the world a better place than we got into it. I, I maybe call me an optimist in, in that sense. Indeed. And you know, you know me, I'm a very free market capitalist kind of guy, but I do think that the feds should be involved in this a little bit in terms of giving incentives for, wait, 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 wait. What? I know. I, I said it. I said it out loud. Wow. <laughs> we we have that on. Oh, that is recorded. Oh, my. Well, oh, but my hang word. on. But, but hear me all right, out. All right, hear where are you going out, with it? Let me hear so, where you're going with this. So I don't think that the feds have been doing anything properly when it comes down to sustainability or recycling since day one. I think that with, with the exception of aerosol emissions back in the 80s, I think they've gotten everything else completely wrong. I think uh, that there it is. All right. Okay. As tends to be the case when politicians <laughs> start making decisions. But I think that one thing that they can be doing is giving companies more incentive to think about the lifespan of a product and think about how to make the product more upgradable. Right. Or if it's not going to be upgradable, go the model of making it wholly recyclable. So if you look at, let's take a very expensive product. If you look at, let's say an Apple computer, like an Apple MacBook or a MacBook Pro, they have spent a lot of time at that company finding ways to, one, reduce very toxic chemicals from the machine, which is great. And make them reusable parts and things like that. Yeah. Two, you know, cutting from these solid aluminum blocks allows them to reuse sections of the block for other things within the tech. That's great. Now they have their buyback program, which is 100% for them because they're selling it off somewhere on the back end. But great. That's a nice effort in the right direction to get people to think about not tossing their computer in the dumpster, instead seeing if they can bring it back to a company or whatever. Um, I do think that the one thing that Apple gets wrong that really frustrates me is there's really no reason why you shouldn't be able to take the same shell that has been, like, say, the MacBook design for the past five, six years and just swap out the internals. There's no reason why that aluminum should have to go through the process of being recycled when I can just continue using the aluminum. The aluminum's fine. Why bother replacing it? Well, that, that's probably a whole other topic for another day. But that's, that why I think that, but that's why I think the governments can get involved because they can offer incentives for companies to start thinking about things along those lines. For example, you have a, a large uh, LCD TV, right? And over time, the internals start to oh, get Oh, you, you, know, you know I got that massive 32-inch sitting in my living room. Sure. Why not make more components uh, swappable, you know? Well, there are a lot of different ways to help become or become a little bit more sustainable with sustainable living. Are you a composting guy? Do you compost in your apartment? No, no, I do not compost. You don't turn your apple rinds into like stinky mulch? No, I do not. I definitely don't do that. But we do go paperless with a lot of our things. Um, Going paperless helps a lot. It goes a long way. You know, another, another good one is the, the whole, instead of buying bottled water, you know, use these you know, all these tumblers and that they have that they make amazing tumblers that keep your liquids cold for hours or hot, whichever you prefer. Yeah, I do that. I carry my water in a reusable metal container every day. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I mean, a lot of the cities utilize a major, put major money towards, you know, the, the, the water source that, that comes into our homes. So this whole thing about us not having good drinking water and things like that, you know, we can utilize that. Another thing that, that has 
come to mind recently in terms of sustainability with food and food consumption and food waste has been really how crazy overserved we are in this country with food. You know, you go out to dinner, the the portion sizes are so beyond silly at this point at almost every restaurant. You buy a burger, they're huge. You really don't have to be, you know, necessary. I mean, like if you want to eat that much food, that's great. I'm not trying to judge people on how much they're they're consuming, but I think a lot of it is. Oh, I'll, I'll judge a little bit. Well, I think I think a lot of it is eaten just because it's in front of the person, rather than oh, I love this burger, I want to finish it. Absolutely. Instead of like you know, I'm gonna stop, take it home tonight, have the rest for dinner, whatever it is. And I think that. I'm sorry. What, what, yeah, what, exactly. what did you say? I can't. I'm sorry. I, I I had fried Twinkies in my mouth. I'm I'm sorry. What what was that? You know, the amount of energy it takes, man, to get those burgers to your plate, it's it's pretty it's pretty legit. It's a significant thing. And it's it's not getting smaller. You would think that as companies become more efficient and, and better at like, you know, controlling their own supply chains, that the 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 sustainability, the 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 carbon footprint, if you will, if you have to go to that term, right? Yeah. You would think it would shrink, but it really doesn't because they just get better and better at reaching more and more people in more and more markets. So they kind of they kind of expand rather than contract by nature. And I think that we as consumers can control a lot of that just by making simple decisions like boxing up half your meal and bringing it home and having it for lunch the next day rather than thinking, oh, I bought it tonight, so I have to finish it. I mean, is there something that from your childhood or maybe as you were growing up that your folks did that maybe gave you that habit of some of the things that you do today? No, I think that growing up in the 1980s, it was just a very, very wasteful time. So I never really had that direct example of trying not to get, you know, of trying not to waste too much food or trying not to waste too much packaging. Now, there were little things growing up, like as a general rule, we didn't waste food because it was just disrespectful. Yeah, you you ate what was put on your plate. We ate what was put on our plate. Yeah, that's how we were. And growing up in a race car family. Or we fed the dog. What, sure. What wasn't sure. on our plate? <laughs> Growing up in a race car family, Brian, really helped me with that as well, because when you're trying to manage a race team, everything becomes reusable. That plastic cup that you got with lunch becomes a nut and bolt holder that you can label for that day. The Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad to hear that that, that was something that like you kind of carried. So some of that actually you carried into your, your house now, right? I think so. I think so. But that was just because that was like looking at a very small business operation in my everyday life, basically, because no businesses like to waste, right? Well, it costs true. money. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say, well, you're right. No, I don't think any business likes to waste, even if they do. You know, one thing that always comes back to my brain when I think about, I have this nostalgic thought when, you know, being from a large family, you know, if we had, when I was younger, and we had get holes in our jeans or our shorts and things like that. You know, my mom used to put those patches. Yeah, we used to patch jeans. Patch Absolutely. jeans up. You didn't go get a new pair of jeans. You just put a little patch on there. Or you had hand-me-downs. You'd get, oh, your brother outgrew that. Now you can wear it type of thing. You know, but although on the plus side, some of the things I wanted to get passed down to me because, I, you know, it was always cooler to get your brother's stuff. See, my brothers were 10 and 12 years older than I was. So if I got their stuff, it'd be like, yo, what's up last decade? <laughs> exactly. I'd be, I'd be hey, not cool right before it's cool again, right? <laughs> if they were 20 years older, I'd be cool again. I'd be in. But but 10 years is a little too short. Just walking around calling you Marty. Absolutely. <laughs> Who's the kid with the life preserver? 
Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think that that's one of the reasons why from the 1970s forward, every set of, you know, parental generation, for lack of a better way to put that, has been so upset when their kids and their kids' friends buy torn clothing, buy new torn clothing, torn jeans, torn shirts. Oh, that's it true. Because that's, that's right. I guess holes in, holes in the jeans already sure. are designer, are like those are like designer quality jeans now, right? Which is my understanding. Yeah, it's big time back in to have those like shredded holes in your jeans. Everything comes around circles, right? Yeah. It's right back to the 80s. But I think that's why it rubs so many like parents and grandparents the wrong way because it just represents this embrace of waste, right? It represents a lack of understanding that no, like you're supposed to have pants that you buy that last until they really do fall apart because we can't sew them back together anymore because that's not wasteful. But to buy something that's already torn, you're going, what, what are you doing right here? I, you know, I've never bought clothes that have actual holes in them. I, I'm not that cool. I can't pull that off now. Usually that my clothes have holes because they I've worn them so long. Yeah, I was not I, allowed I don't to. want to get rid of them. In fact, my wife has a lot of things of mine that she would probably go and toss out that I just don't want to get rid of because I love them so much and I wear them all the time. But she's like, there are holes in them. Get rid of them. Yeah. So I was never allowed to. My parents would have, uh, would have, would have had a serious talk that would have involved probably a, a, a you know, slight pat somewhere that hurts and then <laughs> off the bed with no dinner. Um, but I will tell you that when I was, I'm, uh, I'm shifting uncomfortably in my yeah, chair right exactly. now. <laughs> when I, when I was too cool for school, Back in the you know junior high and high school days, and anybody listening who knew me in junior high or high school knows that I was never ever cool, nor too cool for school. But when I thought that I was, you didn't have a mullet, did you? I did not. Okay, but I did uh, tear my own jeans on purpose when that was really, really in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I cut little holes in the knees and and ripped them and tried to make it look all frayed and natural. And I, I did. I will. I will share this. I will share this. I did have a. I did have a guy, a, a friend at school when I was in middle school that would let me borrow. He had a pair of Jinkos. I don't remember Jinkos. They were like the really baggy jeans. Right. And I, you know, my, my parents didn't want me wearing that kind of stuff or, you know, wearing the overdressed stuff and sagging or whatever. So he used to bring an extra pair to school and I would change into them. Oh, that's so, that's so bad. <laughs> but then it was like, I had to, then it was really weird because I'd have to find a, like really quickly, I had to change out of them because I, I always rode the bus home. So like the last bell would, after the seventh period would ring. And of course you're supposed to get your stuff and then you have to go catch the bus. So I'm like beelining it to the bathroom to, <laughs> to take off these jeans <laughs> so I can make my bus to go home because I can't go home with these. I mean, that's trying really hard. <laughs> oh, I, I tried. You were really trying oh, I hard. Tried. I did. I, I tried really hard. It took wow. me. It they took like me. me. They really <laughs> like me. I mean, I was impressionable. I was. <laughs> that's fun. That's fun. I, I dig it. You know, my, my buddy, Brian and I, um, shout out to Brian Loro, who has been on the show before we were too cool for school. We were riding our bicycles in junior high. So like similar to your story, but not quite so severe. We would make sure that we were far thank enough. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's severe. That's a good choice of words. It, we, it was, you're, you're actually right. It was pretty severe. I mean, I, I was like, sad four, came to mind, but, <laughs> it, but it really was, it, it really was kind of sad. So we were super embarrassed that our parents uh, cared for our well being and forced us to wear helmets when we would ride our bicycles or knee pads and elbow pads. How we were dare rolling. they? I know. It was unbelievable, right? So we would actually stash them in the woods. We had like, like little drop off points. 
we'd ride just far enough away from the houses where no neighbors could see us. And we had like, <laughs> do you have like code names? Like, <laughs> no, but we had like little, like, you know, like fake sections of leaves put down that we could pull up and <laughs> a little camouflage, yeah, a little wood stash our safety gear because God forbid we get caught not wanting to die. <laughs> you know, that was, we were the same way. We didn't wear helmets when we rode bikes in elementary school. I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what was wrong with no this. No one did. But no now one. you're the, you're now you're way uncool if you don't. Now if you're which I actually love. I mean, I actually worry when I I rode I, I ride my bike on the road. I do road biking around here, and it makes me nervous to see so many people that don't wear safety helmets and, and gear like that. But Brian, you know, I, I can't help but bring this back to uh, to my wheelhouse here. You talk about sustainability, and I'm sure that you can imagine. What rubs me the wrong way? I know we're going to talk about the musky robot in this episode, (laughs) but before we get to Tesla's uh, robotic promise of the future, you know, one thing that really bothers me about- It's a good way to put that. That was was actually pretty good. I like that. Maybe a promise of a robotic future, right? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, One thing that really bothers me about sustainability when it comes down to these conversations we keep having about electric vehicles and the electrification of automobile fleets is how much of it I find to be really, really heavily overpromised, and how much of it is, speaking of the feds, governments getting involved trying to force something on a consumer that might not make sense for all people. Now, I'm not saying that electric vehicles don't make sense for some people. I'm not taking that stance at all. And, and a lot of people think that i take that stance when I make these comments. It's really not the case. So quite a lot about it is very, very cool. And you know me, I'm a geek. I'm a techie. This stuff really intrigues me. Yeah, there's a lot about electric vehicles. It's really cool. What bothers me about the sustainability conversation when it comes down to electric cars is everybody makes assumptions that don't make sense to me. So for example, there was recently a Wall Street Journal article that our listeners can look up on their own accord. I don't have a link to share right now. I can try to find one for the episode description. But in that article, they were talking about, oh, electric cars are finally long-term more sustainable than gasoline cars, so don't you worry if you're concerned with that, the electric is the way to go. So I read through the article, and two assumptions that they made that blew my mind. They used Tesla as their example, And they talked about how the carbon footprint of creating a Tesla is actually much larger than the comparable gasoline or diesel-powered car at the beginning. And then over time, it becomes... Or Tesla wins and by paying for itself. It becomes parity, and then it it surpasses, it becomes more sustainable. Well, the first assumption they make is that the car and the batteries in the car will have a usable life of 18 years. Come on. Anybody who's ever owned a cell phone or a laptop for more than three or four years knows the battery in that thing is freaking done. You cannot drive a Tesla 18 years from the day you buy it and expect to go farther than the grocery store. You can because the people that own Teslas right now don't drive more than, you know, like 10 miles a day. Right. Most people that own those cars, I think, do drive shorter distances, to your point, because that makes sense. It makes more sense for them to have that. The problem there is that, as we know, lithium-ion batteries degrade through every charge cycle. The second issue I I had with this whole, oh, electric cars are sustainable and gasoline, diesel-powered, whatever, or not, they make an assumption that the vast majority of power that's coming online in the next 25 years around the world is sustainable power. That is nonsense. 
You can't tell me that as India's fleet goes electric, they're not going to build coal station after coal station after coal station to generate power. They just are. China's going to do it. The Middle East is going to do it. It's absolute BS to make the assumption of, oh, we're just going to make massive wind farms until the cows come home and we'll all be kumbaya and green energy and you can charge a Tesla. Ding, 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 ding. And that's the end of round one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. I think, you, I think you got him. I think you got a nice lick in there. I think you won the scorecard on that one. I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure that Musk is tweeting right now in response. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's predictively, his AI is listening and tweeting responses to our podcast. Oh, guarantee. you know what? I'd be happy. That means we're on his, we're, we're a blip. We're a blip on his radar. I know a blip on his radar. I know. I talk trash. He knows me. <laughs> we, he knows me and my we, people. We, we got a little, our faces are on a little wanted poster in the Tesla factory. So Brian, I've got to ask you, I, 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 I can't, I can't keep from asking you any, any longer. What do you think of this creepy ass robot? It, it is, it is really creepy. You know, when you sent me a picture of this robot, it was, I, the first thing that flashed into my head was the movie iRobot. With Will Smith. With Will Smith. It, it was... Great book. It, it was... <laughs> Not so great a movie. <laughs> I mean, actually, I didn't mind the movie so much. I, I really didn't. Now, it, a lot of plot holes, of course, but, you know, most of those sci-fi movies are. But when I you were sent me this picture and I was looking at this and reading a little bit, it, I just, I go, he must have gotten drunk, watched that movie on a loop. Maybe, maybe he, maybe, I don't know, maybe he was stoned or something. I, I don't know. He, but he must have just sat there, watched that movie and been like, I've got a brilliant idea. <laughs> Here you go, guys. We're going to make this. Because according to you and, and some of the stuff that, that you passed me to read, everyone is saying that he, this is impossible yeah. from what it's, yeah. it's trying to do. So what, tell, tell our listeners what this, this AI looking robot. And if you know the movie, I robot, it honestly looks like that. Basically Westworld is coming true. If, if he's able to pull this off, we are now living in Westworld. <laughs> well, make, make no mistake. Uh, Tesla's planned robot, which they say is coming next year, by the way, definitely has more plot holes than, than the movie. Um, this thing is supposed to be a five foot eight, 125 pound humanoid bot that can do mundane tasks. Why do like, we, why do we call it a humanoid bot? Why don't we say robot? Well, because it looks like a person. That's what makes it humanoid. It really doesn't <laughs> until you give it a face. <laughs> well, it's got a head, shoulders, elbows, all right, hands. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Um, allegedly it's not going to be able to go faster than five miles per hour. It's only going to be able to lift a maximum of 45 pounds. The Until object- Until it takes over its own mind. Yeah, clearly these guys <laughs> never, ever watch science fiction. I, I, that's how I feel. Yeah, so Tesla comes out and they say that this thing is going to be able to do mundane tasks, like get your groceries for you and then, you know, screw the light switch on the wall, the plate cover, do your homework even maybe. Have we become you. that lazy? First of all, Yes. Secondly, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. This is, this is overpromised nonsense. Uh, oh, what a coincidence that they announced this the very same week that Mr. Musk starts tweeting that his automated driving systems are actually lagging far behind. And it turns out it's a much bigger problem than Tesla ever anticipated. See, when you showed me the picture of the robot, when I first saw it, or the, the humanoid, uh, when I saw the picture of it, I thought they were going to put that in the Tesla's. <laughs> 
like, like, you know, like, like a carpool lane type of like thing. And you could just put it instead of, instead of it actually being like an autopilot. It kind of does thing. look like the dummy that they launched into space in the roadster. Yeah. Right? yeah, the rocket yeah, yeah. I was just like, Oh, so these are basically, you're going to buy your own Uber. But the bottom line is that what's happening here is a lot of Tesla's value has been based on this idea that their cars will go fully automated driving very, very soon. And they're faltering on that promise. It's not happening for lots and lots of reasons. It turns out it's always really hard. Well, imagine that. I mean, (laughs) but there's, there's always gotta be an element of human like decision making in that. I, I, I think to literally have no control whatsoever and just get in and be like, well, you and I, are you're going to trust, you're going to trust this to end to not have. And I, I get it. I'm sure there'll be some kind of safety mechanism and I'm using air quotes there, you know, for you to take control and self drive, but okay. I watched demolition man and <laughs> I've seen what I I've seen what can happen with certain things. Yeah, you and know what to do with the shells. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he doesn't know what to do with the three seashells. Okay, a question for you first, before we get off of this. If you had this robot or humanoid, what would you have it do for you? Date the mannequin that lives in my living room. <laughs> I was kind of like actually curious if that was the case. They can get creative <laughs> on their date nights. Ooh, maybe, you know, maybe you don't call me on those nights. Maybe I don't come over to witness that because there, there's just some things you can't unsee. The only thing that I would be comfortable with any kind of bot in my home doing is cleaning. That is literally the only thing, nothing else. I would not be comfortable with it doing any shopping. I would not be comfortable with it doing any stacking of groceries, stocking of shelves. I would not be comfortable with it interacting with my cooking child at all. No, I would not be comfortable with a cooking dinner. Okay. But I would be fine with it. Vacuuming, dusting, doing windows. Okay. That's great. I I can see that. I can see that. I mean, now that you're saying that, that makes more sense to me too. I I think I probably find that comfort level as, as well. I, I just don't know what I would, I I personally need it for. That's just me. There are lots of people out there that find uh, cleaning very cathartic, so that wouldn't work for them. But I think for most people, cleaning is the one thing that always has to be done. Yeah. And it could free up a lot of time if you didn't have to do it. Fair enough. Um, When it comes to cooking dinner and things like that, I think that's so much more intimate that you need that human kind of connection and feel because you're, you know, you're making food for your family. Yeah. Yeah. It's a meaningful, instinctual thing. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So, all right. Well, I mean, we got plenty. Plenty to reflect on. I mean, so for the Tesla stuff coming out, no, hoping for the best, maybe is that, or just don't even care. I think that Mr. Musk needs to focus on SpaceX because he's actually going to take that thing to Mars. I believe that hundred percent, but this whole fully automated driving, stupid 125 pound robot walking around this stuff, it's all, it's all nonsense. But Brian, I want to leave you with this one thought. What do you think is going to happen on any given street or highway when the other drivers realize that the automated car next to them has to keep a safe distance from the next car in front of it? I'm going to give you a hint. They're going to speed up. They're going to cut it off. They're going to speed up, get in front of it, slam on the brakes and cut it off. And it's going to force it to slow down and slow down and slow down and slow down. More more traffic, more traffic. That's human nature. Yeah, more traffic. Yeah, we rubberneck like nobody's business. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we've gotten to a point today that we can wrap this one up. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm with I'm, you, bud. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So, you know, we have uh, said that we were going to give a giveaway. So those of you that have been listening to the show, I want to hear, we actually, we both want to hear, what is the most creative date night that you could come up with? Email us at admin at neighborsdontknock.com. And for the most creative date night that we think is the most creative, you will get some free NDK swag that we will mail to you. You will not have to pay for shipping or anything, so we will send it to you free of charge. You'll get some nice, really great swag for the show. But let us know. That's admin at neighborsdontknock.com. The most creative date night that you can think of. Is there a second place prize? Um, my respect will go out, but we, we can give the top maybe honorable mention. We'll yeah. Give we can give mention. honorable mention. Yeah. We'll like give an honorable mention as well. You want to see third place? Third place is you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yes. But make sure you guys check us out on social media and also next week. Oh, Philip, I'm going to tell us about our listeners next week. A new neighbor drops by. Lisa Ferris. She's a professional actor slash singer and producer. Uh, Lisa is a very versatile performer. She's been seen in everything from national commercials to singing Christmas carols in the happiest place on earth as a Dickens caroler of Disneyland. She's now having transitioned uh, behind the camera and continues to work on a diverse on diverse projects ranging from HBO's Westworld to Nickelodeon's Ryan Mystery Playdate. That is a big, that's a big span right there. I love it. How appropriate with Westworld. I know. It's exciting. I'm, I'm so stoked and I can't wait to get her on the show. Indeed. So y'all make sure that you subscribe, like, and follow the podcast. You don't want to miss Lisa Ferris or any of our other wonderful guests. We try to have them every other episode. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, drop us a line, guys. We got new episodes every Friday. Man, whew, it was good to be back here with off my you. chest. I know. I feel good. Robot, clean my chest. <laughs> Robot, peace out.